Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, we did a teaser last week, and now I think I'm ready to reveal. Should we reveal what it is? Oh, yes. I love revealing things. So this Wednesday, we are going to launch our four-part series where we have special episodes dropping on Wednesdays with our new friends over at the Advanced Selling Podcast. So what we did, we took a unique spin on this. This one's pretty fun. So here's what we're doing. You know, Gong, we love our data. And so what we did was opinions versus reality. So the ASP folks, Advanced Selling Podcast, we are going to go to their podcast and they're going to drop special episodes where we talk about the opinions of different sales topics. Things like, is it good or bad or neither to curse on a sales call? Mm -hmm. Should you be using slides on your discovery calls and other Mm -hmm. such questions? Then we're going to do an intermission. We're going to break and we're going to come over to the Reveal podcast on Wednesdays and we're going to share the reality, the data that we have to say which of those things are true, which of those things are false, and how you as a sales professional, as a sales leader can be more effective. I loved all of that. Reality, show me that reality. <laughs> and Bill and Brian are, if you if you listen to their podcast, they're great. You know what you're going to get. They are experts in all things sales. They've been doing this podcast for decades. I forgot. We talked about how long they've been doing this in the show. The, the line they say is they are the longest running sales podcast in the history of podcasting. That's what they say. I don't know if that's decades or, or just one decade, but it's, <laughs> been, a, it's been a while. Uh, but they, they're awesome and they're tons of fun. What I really like about working with them is the camaraderie that they have with each other. Mm-hmm. They have fun with each other. We had fun with them. And we hope that while you listen, you enjoy each of these little mini episodes too. Another, dare I say another, I'm I'm bragging, another great podcast that has two great hosts. I'm going to say, there, I said it. If you're listening to this, you must think we're okay because, hey, you're hanging out with us and we appreciate you. So if you're not already, make sure you subscribe on wherever it is you listen to podcasts and make sure you follow Gong on LinkedIn because these are going to be the two best ways to see and to know that these episodes are coming out. They're shorter, They're faster paced if you're into any of those two things. And if you're not into those two things, you should still listen anyway, because it's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun, a lot of great data. So with that, make sure you check it out this Wednesday, jump over to the advanced selling podcast, and then jump back over here to reveal, to hear the data. That's it. See you there. See ya. This week, we have a huge guest. And in fact, it's actually a replay from one of our fan favorites and one of my favorite interviews as well. We have KD joining us today. And for any basketball fans, no, it's not Kevin Durant, but it's another great Kevin. It's Kevin Dorsey. Kevin Dorsey is the VP of Inside Sales over at Patient Pop. 
You might know him from LinkedIn, where he's been a LinkedIn top sales voice multiple times, I believe, definitely in 2020. He's got over 77,000 followers on LinkedIn. He's always sharing great sales leadership tips, tactical and strategic. This is a fantastic interview and one of my favorites because there are a couple dozen takeaways. A couple great ones is you're going to hear how to diagnose pipeline issues using data. And if you double down on that, specifically how to use qualitative and quantitative data to really understand the art and the science of sales and to forecast more accurately. And as Kevin calls it, the holy grail, how he uses the voice of the customer to learn how his customers speak and what they're truly interested in so he can help coach his managers. So with that, let's go hang out with KD. KD, I am pumped that we are finally meeting face-to-face or screen-to-screen. I have followed you for a while. We've chatted online, but this is a, this is a big moment. I'm not going to say for me. I'm going to say for both of us. This is a big moment for yes. our relationship. <laughs> yes. We, you know, we're, we're, I don't know if this is maybe second base, maybe shortstop, but we're progressing. Yes. I like where this is going, and, and I'm excited about it, man. It's about time. <laughs> Katie, it's a pleasure to meet you. Same. I feel like we know each other from LinkedIn, but this is actually the first time seeing each other, quote unquote, face to face. So mm-hmm. glad you're here. And for, sure. for folks who don't know you, uh, just a bit of context, you're the VP of Inside Sales at PatientPop. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, who PatientPop is and what you do there? For sure. So PatientPop is a practice growth and efficiency platform. So we work with private practices across the country and we help them bring in more patients, right? Help them bring in the right types of patients, then also have a better kind of office experience. You know, medicine is one of these industries that, for as long as it's been around, has not evolved nearly as much as a lot of spaces have. So it's a really fun space to be in. And I lead the inside sales org there. So I have a large team of SDRs. I have a large team of closers as well with some channel people in there too. And then the field kind of like I work with the field org through my SDRs. So my team's about over a hundred now and still growing. And um, yeah, I, I love what I do. When I can tell you love what you do because you're on, Patreon, you're on, you're active on LinkedIn, you're big on coaching, personal development, you're constantly talking about books that you read, books that you buy, uh, which I appreciate. So you're all about, you know, sharing what you know, and kind of your own journey, which is why I've always liked you. Aside from wanting to meet you directly, I would I asked you to come to reveal so we could talk about how you use data to coach your team specifically around deal insights. So let's just start like really broad here. How do you use revenue intelligence today? Or in other words, how are you using data to fuel growth today? So if I, if I look back really through my career, I think something that has helped me a lot is pattern recognition, right? Being able to look at things and pick on like, what are the patterns? What's the pattern? What does this rep do more consistently than this rep? What types of deals seem to close faster? Which ones have a higher ACV or contract value, right? And so I'd always spend time looking for those things. And it really hasn't been until say the last maybe four, five years that tools started to be able to help with that, right? Like you used to have to go in and listen to every call or you just have to inspect every single deal and you can't do that. And so with the revenue intelligence as, as a category, what it's really helping me do is pick up on patterns faster so that I can then coach my team on the right things or to target the right types of deals or to work in a certain, like, even like strike zone. Like, what's my strike zone? So, like, once you know the pattern, 
right? So it starts with awareness, then there's the pattern recognition, then there's the process, and then there's the practice, right? Putting it into practice. So that's how revenue intelligence helps me scale is because once I pick up on it, everything else goes to the side and we're going to double down on the things that are working. That's music to my ears. I love everything that you just said. Can you tell us a little bit more about your your deal checklist or those signals and patterns that you're looking for uh, to really understand if deals on track to close. For sure. So, I mean, I, one of my favorite books I've posted about this a lot is the checklist manifesto. Um, I am a big believer in checklists. You know, if it can help save people's lives in the hospital, it can help salespeople sell a little bit better. Um, Cause one of the things I talk about with my team and my managers is I, I don't want you to think I want you to be able to listen. Right. The more time we spend thinking, right, we're not listening to what the prospect is saying to us. And so I'm a big believer in checklists. Right. So I have a call scorecard. Right. Which maps out like here are the things that we know lead to a great discovery. And if we miss these things, we know we have a less likely chance of closing that deal. Then we also have like uh, call it like a wrap up or next step checklist. And this is how we look at pipeline management is like, OK, did they agree to a scheduled follow up call? Yes, no. No means it's less likely to come through. Did you ask for the business? Yes, no, right? And so we use like the checklist there, again, like as guides and reminders of here are the small things we need to do that give us the best chance to succeed. And when we miss them, we also know what we have to do next, right? right? So like, for example, um, if they did not accept the follow-up invite, and that's very clear. My managers are asking the question. The rep knows they're going to be asked the question because they have their, their checklist. Cool. But then this is also where revenue intelligence starts to pull it all in, right? Of like, hey, you haven't touched this deal in three days. It's on your commit. I looked at the notes. You don't have a scheduled follow-up call. You haven't touched it in three days. Why is this in your commit? But then a lot of reps are like, you're right. I'm going to move it out of commit. So th- no. Pull it in to commit, (laughs) go do the things that you missed to pull it in. And so those are the ways that I try to leverage, you know, reminders and checklists and guidelines of what we know lead to success. And it it does, it makes a huge difference. And we know because the rest that have the highest call scores, the rest that have the highest follow-up scores, all that have the highest close rates and the highest revenue on the team. Like it's that straight up dotted line, linear causation, correlation, whatever you want to call it. I know it and I can teach to it. On, you know, to, to dive a little bit deeper and maybe a little tactically on the deal checklist, tell me more about that. Like, where does that live? Like, when are reps and managers going and looking at that checklist? Uh, tell me more about that. So we have certain things that are built into um, the tools that we use, like with like prompts and reminders, like, did this question get asked, right? If it did, great. If it didn't, we actually have certain things that, like will pop up and say, hey, this is a deal that this was not asked, right? Follow-up dates were not confirmed. But then the flip side of it is this is just a checklist that lives in Google Docs that the managers and the reps have access to, and they go through it. And what I like about this too is the rep knows what they're going to be asked as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so for like my sales leaders that are listening to this too, you know, right? You go in there and you say, hey, so what's up with uh, Superbiz? And the rep goes, oh, uh, let me, let me see, right? And they Oh, oh yeah, that's gonna no, we don't we don't ask what's up questions. We ask, did you agree that they have a problem? Why do they want to solve it? Who else is involved in this decision? Do you have a follow-up meeting? 
Did you ask for the business? Like, it's very clear what we're going to dive into, which also allows us to work through pipeline faster more often than not, right? The rep can say like, bam, 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 bam. I've accomplished all these things. The only outstanding thing is I need to send a problem-based proposal. Let's talk about that today, right? So it lives in Google Docs. It also lives in some of the tools that we use and even Salesforce fields. Like I have certain fields in Salesforce that you have to fill out so I know you accomplish certain things. And then back to um, the first question, now I can pick up on patterns. Wow, for deals that don't have this filled out, I can track what that close rate or what that sales cycle looks like compared to ones that do. Now I have a pattern. Now I can put it into practice. It sounds like, Katie, you and your team of leaders are able to cut the game of catch up which is, you know what it is. You're in the pipeline review, right? It's like, Devin, what deals do you have? Uh, I'm working on super bits. It's like, okay, who are you talking to? Uh, I'm talking to this person. Okay, what did you talk about, right? You go through that loop and you end up spending most of Devin's turn in the team pipeline review on getting you caught up to where the deal is. It sounds like you've nixed that. And now you've got like this GPS. Like I know my route to get to the end goal as quickly as possible. And is it fair to say it's kind of changed the way you coach deals to be a little more on like the strategic side. Yeah, absolutely. Like I want to, I want to avoid the fluff. I want to avoid the, the stuff I can't do anything with. Right. And so this is on both sides, right? This is also on the manager. I don't want my manager asking questions that they could clearly see the answer to. Mm-hmm. Right. So you don't go in asking your reps. So like, Hey, like when's the follow-up date? That's a field in Salesforce. Right. That's actually disrespectful to the rep. They did their job. You didn't do your pre. Right. So it's making sure that we're focused on the things that are actionable, things that we can do something with. Right. Like my team knows this and anyone that's, you know, hung out with me for enough time. knows like, I, I'm not very patient with conversations that like aren't going anywhere. It's like, yo, like, cool. Awesome. Have you sent them the proposal yet? I know the other things I looked at it or I already right. listened to the call I already went through and looked at the notes. Right. So I think it's avoiding the fluff and focus on what's actionable. Right. Same with even our one-on-ones, our one-on-ones are structured. They know what metrics they're reporting, what numbers they're going through, what their commit needs to look like. Like it's all a process because um, I talk about this with my directors a lot, but even my managers, you manage processes, you develop people. You don't manage people. You manage a process. People are impossible to manage. We are (laughs) just impossible. You develop people, but you have to have a process to manage. And we have processes for damn near everything. And then I'm going to keep circling back to kind of the, the pattern recognition. Once you realize something's working, you build a process around it and then scale that out to the team. How's this conversation going so far? Are we, are we getting towards the end goal? Or are we getting fluffy? We're good. We're good. Okay. I'm enjoying okay. myself right now. <laughs> All right. Pass the, pass the, first, heat, uh, the first heat check from Katie. <laughs> yes. um, uh, so I, I think we're kind of circling around it. Katie, I want to know what are those signals, right? So you said, hey, I've got these fields. And if I see these things that are missing or if I see these warnings, like I know what to act on. What are those like deal warnings that are coming up for you? Mm-hmm. So the, the first deal warning is problem agreements, right? And so this goes all the way to the very beginning of discovery. Did we discover and agree to a problem that needed to be addressed? 
right? Refs know this, by the way, too. If they ever come to me for help on a deal, they know the first question I'm going to ask them. They know. And they'll roll their eyes. If any of my reps like listen to this or end up watching this, they could, they'll probably shout at the computer. Like, I know what he's about to say. What problem did they agree they have? Until you have that, almost none of the other things that we're going to talk about matter, right? Oh, like they're, they're pushing me back on price. What problem do they agree to? Well, they want more patience. No, that is not a problem. Wanting more patience is not a problem. Not seeing enough patience is a problem. Mm. Did you get them to agree to that? So it starts, the first thing that we look for is problem agreement, right? So that's in discovery. Then we look at why they should change and impact. Did we gather that throughout the demo or the sales process? So those are like called the, like the demo check-ins, right? Of like, these are the things I'm going to ask just to know if the demo went well or not, because this is where people waste so much time. They waste so much time talking about the follow-up and the sales process and navigating like the deal flow when you never sold it the right way in the first place. And so then you wonder why it goes dead. I don't want to worry about a proposal or pricing if I didn't get that problem agreement. If I didn't get the problem agreement, you got to go back and get it. So once we move from the actual demo, then we're looking into, okay, are there scheduled next steps, right? It's scheduled a date and time. The are you sold question, right? So whether they're going to buy or not is different, but like, do they believe it will solve a problem? Right. So did they agree to that? Has a recommendation been made yet? Right. So I don't want my, my reps, the recommendation needs to happen over the phone or over zoom. That should not come from a proposal or an email of like, here's what pricing is going to be. So has a recommendation been made Has a problem based um, proposal been sent. And then from there, it almost kind of continues to repeat. All right. You had that next follow-up call. All right. Right. Did you reconfirm that they had the problem? Did you reconfirm they were sold? Did you resell them on what we're going to do? Did you make a secondary recommendation? Did you update the problem-based proposal? Schedule next steps. And that becomes like the ongoing process that we go through. All right, everyone. In every episode, we have a data breakout. A quick sidebar to look at the data. A critical item on Katie's checklist is establishing the next step and scheduling the follow-up meeting. And our Gong Labs data backs that up. Successful reps spend 12.7% more time on next steps than their unsuccessful peers. And in the fastest deals, the sellers spent a whopping 53% more time discussing next steps during the first meeting than deals with slow sales cycles. But here's a twist. Spending more time discussing next steps matters much more for the first meeting. The duration of time spent discussing next steps in later calls has no impact on sales cycle length. Why? Because the buyer hasn't yet mentally worked through potential next steps. They're simply evaluating whether or not they should start the sales journey with you. That means discussing next steps at length during this moment of truth will help build trust and help move them into an active buying process. Here's a quick pro tip. Shorten your pitch and leave yourself enough time to work through next steps. You don't want to talk about critical next steps when your prospect is rushing to get to their next meeting. Stay tuned to the micro action at the end of the episode for other actions that need to be on your selling checklist. Do you use the same process across the different teams that you manage? 
because you said SDRs, inside sellers, uh, some um, feel too, right? So, so I guess, yes, same process, different checklists, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Right. So like my, my SDRs also have like a, a checklist of reminders that they're supposed to, to go through. Right. Like, so if you can tell, like I have processes that are similar, but then tailored to the role that's going. Cause also, by the way, the things I'm talking about, do you think I maybe also have checklists and processes for my managers? Uh-huh. Right. Like I've got checklists and processes for them too. So we have this thing called the issue diagnosis chart, right? Where it's like, okay, someone's struggling with clothes, right? Here are all the things you need to go look for. Mm right? To give them that guard rail, right? So, okay, well, you can't, like, people get this wrong all, all the time. And it's something that's been fun watching, you know, all the content that y'all put out around, like, revenue intelligence, because everyone loves to focus on revenue, and they forget the intelligence part, right? We need more revenue. If it were that easy, like, I wouldn't have a job. Hey, guys, need more revenue. Go get it. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and, you, and, and you know this, you talk to a lot of sales leaders, like there are a lot of sales leaders that still lead that way. Yo, we need more revenue. Where, where are we at? Where are we at? And you're like, oh, I found some. There's the revenue tree. I just went and picked some revenue out. Yeah. You can't do it. So now people are starting to at least get a little bit more mathematical. Okay, well, we need to bring our close rates up. Go get it. How? How are you going to bring it up? Right. And so we have the issue diagnosis chart and then we follow a system that we made internally called BPS behaviors, process or skill. Mm. So say someone's close rate is low. You went through your checklist to identify why. Is it a behavior problem? Meaning they're just not doing it. It's a process problem. Meaning we haven't taught them. We haven't trained them. We haven't documented it. It's inefficient. Or is it a skill problem? They're doing it, but they're just bad at it. This is what then gives them the tool to say, okay, this is what I'm fixing to then bring that number up, right? So they, and this goes all the way to the manager level as well. I love that because at the end of the day, I think the, the number one like vehicle to get everything that you're talking about is visibility. Right. If you can see what's going on, I've got a list for you. I've got a process. The process even has uh, checks and balances where if the process is broken, the process will, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it, it's like, it's like waterproof here. I love it. Um, I'm just kind of thinking through the, the BPS aspect where I have to imagine it also makes your managers, your managers and directors more efficient. I'm not wasting oh, time yeah. trying to figure out what might be the cause. I've got a list and it's like, look, if it's behavior, that's a very different conversation than, hey, KD, I think there's a process gap. Or, hey, let's have an hour-long uh, call on Friday afternoon with a beer and talk about this skill because I, I think your discovery might be actually a little, a little off. Yeah, it's everything, you know, everything eventually can be measured. And I'm not trying to say, you know, this is all science and no art. But, like, you can tell if someone's doing something well or not, right? Are you asking this question, right? I can I can go in and I can type in the question I'm looking for and see if you're doing it or not. I couldn't do that back in the day, right? Like I had to go and listen to every single one, but even with my managers, right? So say we're using discovery. If that's where something's broken, I don't need them to listen to a full call. You're only listening to discovery because that's what's broken, 
right? right and so right. so many managers they try to do all of it they they try to fix everything they try to give too much feedback versus okay close rates low i went through my checklist i realized we're not asking for the upfront agreement on almost all of our demos so this is what we're going to be practicing for the next three to four weeks till we get it down okay we did it shoot close rate didn't still come up we gotta go to the next thing right and so it does it allows them to focus on the right things and again this this checklist that i've built where does it come from patterns we know like Okay, if you if you could step into any sales org in this country, and if I said someone's struggling with closing deals, there's going to be a certain amount of things that you would look for. Right. That's just patterns that you've built, right? And so that's what's fun with technology is it's getting closer and closer. You know, like pick up on some of these patterns even more so. And I can't wait till it's all the way there because then I can just point at people. Hey, just, hey, go do that thing. Go do it. We figured it out already. So we'll see. We'll see. In order to make sure that your reps are productive, that they are hitting their numbers, that they're being their best, what are some warning signals or patterns that you use to understand whether they're on track or off track? So, so that's just when I get into to math, right? Of, so we look at revenue. Revenue, like, and you can actually ask my team this, I hardly ever talk about revenue, ever. Because revenue is the last part of everything else that we do, right? So we have certain skill-based metrics that we measure and they all lead up to revenue, right? So I have revenue. Cool. What's your average contract value? What's your average seats per deal? What is your sales cycle? What is your close rate? What is your show rate? What is your connect rate? And what is your conversion rate? And then what's your activity? And so we look at that full process to see if someone's on track or not. Right. And that's also then where we find out which levers we need to pull. Right. So I've, I've built a calculator for my team. Like my reps know, like to the dial, what they need to do to get to their number. Right. Or, you know what? Shoot, I don't want to make 120 calls today. But if I could bring my close rate up from 20% to 30%, I don't have to do that. And so then that's how we can map some of our coaching plans to it. So that's how I look to see if a rep's being productive is are there skill-based metrics within the range I want them to be, right? And then if they are, does the activity match to get them to their end goal, right? At that point, it's actually pretty simple. There are often times where I can look at a rep and say, I know where you're going to (laughs) finish. If you keep doing what you're doing right now, I know where you're going to finish. And the only way you'll beat the number I'm putting in front of you is if you get lucky. But it's, at that point, it does become mathematical, right? If your close rate's 30% and you only run five demos, how many deals are you going to close? Right. One. Because you can't close 1.5 deals, and it doesn't round up, so you're only going to close one <laughs> with a 30% close rate on five. All right, that's where all these spreadsheet forecasts always break, is they include the decimals. You can't close 1.42 deals. It doesn't work that Very way. Very true. So. Very true. I don't know if you're a gambling man, Katie, but I imagine you in Vegas. Like, you might be one of the few people beating Vegas when it comes to, like, sports betting. <laughs> and I don't Calculating over-under. So, funny enough on that, though, is I'm actually not good for Vegas because of what I said earlier on in this conversation. I'm not patient enough. Mm. I'm not patient enough, like, in those. And also, too, if you can imagine, might be somewhat of a control freak. And so, gambling 
is not my yeah. thing. Math is. And so if it's a game of math, if it's a game of like true calculatable odds, I'm for those types of things. But like, I got to stay out of Vegas, man. Nothing good happens for, for me when, when I go to that city. So I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Good. I'm with you. It, it sounds like may, maybe one day counting cards, but not betting on uh, not betting on the Super Bowl. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I, I really love your scientific approach and how you take what could be like a complex or vague problem for the business or for a manager. And like you break it down, like you keep peeling the onion. Like, what's the next question? Like, these are the four variables that will roll up to you know, this one metric that we're looking at um, and making it easier to digest for everybody on the team. Like, I think it's a really, really great, solid approach. It helps, right? It, it helps speed things up. It helps give people direction, right? Like it can be overwhelming. It can be like, where do you start? What do you look for? And you don't know, right? And so being able to, you know, put it down, I think also part of this comes from like, you know, my memory isn't that great. So having a checklist helps me a lot, right? And it makes it so sorry, this is easy to do and to go through. And like sometimes people say, like, oh, like, why do I need a checklist? Or oh, that's it's elementary. Like it, it works. Like, I don't care. It works. Yeah. That's what we're here for. Surgeons use a checklist when they're doing brain surgery. Yeah. Right. Pilots <laughs> surgeons. Thank you. Right. Like, and I've had this argument. So wait, okay, so a brain surgeon uses it. A jet fighter uses it, but, oh, Miss A.E. doesn't need to use this? Like, we're better than that? Get out of here. Let's go. <laughs> I can't remember what. I don't know if it was a book or something, but I remember hearing this, like, in-depth conversation about checklists uh, and, and the pilot use case. And mm-hmm. they, they're, they're just religious about it. There's no exception because, like you said, they know this process works. And if you break the pattern, you're just opening up risk and it's unnecessary. So there's the classic story. I think it was either the Rolling Stones or ACDC. I can't remember which group it was, but they talked about how they had these crazy um, like backstage demands, Mm. right? Of like, you know, I want a bowl full of just, you know, the purple M&Ms and I want like, and it's so funny because for the longest time that story got told in a way that made them sound like neurotic. Right. Like, who are these stars to ask for these stupid types of things until it finally came out why they did it? Right. They had set lists, right, that included pyrotechnics, fireworks, sparks, news, all those things. So they added those things in so they would know if everything was accomplished, because if they walked into that dressing room and they saw a bowl full of all Skittles, they know something was missed on that entire set list, right? So it wasn't just them being neurotic, like we're a star and we want these crazy little things done for us. It was like, I don't want to step on that stage and get blown up because your attention to detail wasn't there. And I've always loved like that story because what I, what I preach to my managers is I don't want you to be micromanagers. I want you to be micro aware. Mm -hmm. You need to understand the small things that are happening that lead to that end result that we're looking for and missing just one thing. You could do everything right, but you miss that one thing and you won't get the results that you want. It's that level of awareness that's necessary. 
I love that. That's a good story. I actually had not heard the other side of that story. I was just right. like, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. like early rock stars were prima donnas because they were like superstars. Like maybe I would too if oh, I could. I don't know. That's that's why they did it. And the, that's why it was brown M&Ms one week and Skittles another week. It'd be different places in the set list because if like at that point you are talking life and death. And so if the attention to detail isn't there. That was their warning sign. And they would make them all, they'd go through the entire set list again to make sure that things were accounted for. So, you know, everyone thinks they're just crazy. They were actually yeah. really smart. That's no, they were crazy. They were crazy and smart. Could be Let's both. be honest. Like yeah, they, were, be yeah, they, they were crazy <laughs> for sure. So of all the things, you know, you're, you're clearly data-minded, right? We've got process. What's the most surprising thing that you've discovered about you, know, you your team, your business by looking at data? So I think there's, there's a lot, honestly, because we look at these things all the time and like, I'm going to lump, I'm going to lump behavior into data a little bit here too. Um, but like, for example, when we're building our, our demos and our scripts and our outbound emails, things like that, like something that matters a lot to me is using the language of our customers, right? Using the language of our prospects. No, I'm not hating on marketing, but unless you're selling to marketers, you don't know the language of the prospect. You talk differently. Same with salespeople. We say type of things all day long that make no sense. So I'll go in and I'll listen to calls to find out when the prospect says, wow. When does the prospect say, I didn't know that? When does the prospect say, oh, cool. Wait, really? Could you show me that again? Awesome, right? So funny. A lot of sales leaders will go in to listen to calls and like pick out the filler words like cool, awesome, sweet. And they're listening to the rep. And they tell the rep to stop saying those things. I'm listening to the prospect, right? And so one of the things that um, we found, for example, was we'd get way more engagement and way more um, participation around reviews, right? When we start talking about um, doctor reviews. But at the time, that was part three of the demo. Hmm. So what do you think we did with that? We moved that up into the demo. We start there now. And we saw close rates come up accordingly, right? We also found out that one of our top reps consistently asked a question, how can we get this done? How can we get this done? She had a close rate almost 2x higher than everybody else. And it's not just because of that question. Sure. But that question, how can we get this done, right? So pick up on the pattern and you go, but also using data to eliminate Right. So you can bring up a metric just by getting rid of the fluff. Right. So looking at how close rates are across specialty and size and realizing like, OK, these specialties, although we can book a lot of them, don't close. Stop it. And so what then happened is although our total pipeline came down, our total revenue comes up because we replaced about half of those with better demos and we got rid of the fluff revenue comes up. So like there's for days, right? Like you look at the data, you look at the patterns, you look at the processes going into things or the behaviors going into things. You can find it. Like I actually, I did a podcast way back with um, Brandon over at seamless. And I don't know how we got into it, but somehow the topic came up about like reps, you know, not staying with companies long enough or, you know, being, you know, they jump around. And I said, I said, I was like, you know what? I'm going to say something I think most people disagree with. I will take a top performer for six months if you'll give them to me. He's like, what? Six months? Like, you don't get the return. I was like, are you, you don't think that if I have a world-class salesperson for six months that I can't figure out 
what makes them a world-class salesperson. Mm. I can't duplicate them, but I can replicate them. You follow me here? I can't duplicate. I can't do a pure clone, but I can take 70, 80% of what they do and roll it out to the rest of the team and watch the entire team come up, right? So every quarter, my team, we do an exercise called scaling greatness. Because as a leader, it's always easy to focus on what's going bad. Once a quarter, I want them telling me what's going really well, what the patterns are, and how we can do more of it. So that's a little bit of a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but, like, this is what we do. And so it gets me fired up. Like, this is the world that we live in. Don't you dare apologize. Uh, no, that was phenomenal. And um, I admit, when you started the answer, I was like, come on, Katie. Like, you, you, come on, man. Like, six months. But it makes sense because, like you said, we're not trying to duplicate it. Let me just extract what's working, get a playbook exactly. that I never would have had otherwise, and then – I'll write him a rec for the next role if, if I need be. 100%. 100%. But, but I am guessing that without the technology, without the data analysis, you wouldn't be able to replicate that great rep in six months. Not as easily. Like, and this is just the, you know, the side of me, whether you can tell or not, I'm a little obsessive about this stuff. If I knew I had only six months to this top performing rep, best believe I'm going to prioritize my time to dig in and find those things. Technology is what helps me do it faster and for more people. But like, if I don't think, I don't think a lot of sales leaders prioritize the right, like focus of like, if you just studied your best for three months, four months, that's all you did. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to raise the entire team up accordingly. Right. But without revenue intelligence, without call recordings, without data, without math, without dashboards, it becomes a lot harder to do. That's, that's, and that's what's been so interesting to watch is I feel like revenue intelligence truly has positively impacted my results. I don't always see it across the board, right? People got all the tools, they got all the things, but they're not using them the right way. They're not using it to change behavior. Right. The old school saying right, says what gets measured gets improved. It's not true. Yeah, what gets measured is made aware. You yeah. can't improve it unless you change something. Right. The change is where most people miss the mark on all this. Yeah. That, that also assumes people aren't going to find ways to game whatever is being measured and cut corners. There's uh, something I read a while back about that's like whatever you put in front, whatever number you put in front of someone, they will naturally find the easiest, fastest way to get there. Mm-hmm. Not, not the best, just the fastest. Yeah, absolutely. We are a very interesting creature as, as human beings, right? Like that is our biggest benefit and our biggest flaw is our desire for the easy path. Mm-hmm. Almost every grand invention we've ever made is around simplifying, speeding up, or making something easier, right? So our desire for it is great, but also it has a species it also holds us back often from being as great as we can be because we just try to find the easy way where it's just 10 percent more effort we would have gotten the end result we wanted but we don't because we're always trying to find the the shortest path to it so pros and cons man we are an Mm -hmm. interesting species we are an interesting species i i don't think this whole industry around technology would even exist if we didn't have that you know as an innate Mm -hmm. part of ourselves right and that's that's where you see i think the divide in this industry You have people just relying on tech while not developing the skill. Mm. The tech can't replace skill. It has to amplify it. And you're not seeing that yet, right? What's happened a lot with tech, even revenue intelligence, is it's 
almost actually it's in the category in itself enablement people forget that enablement can be a negative term too if you are an enabler right you allow people to get away with things they probably shouldn't or you encourage them to do things that they shouldn't so you have a lot of tech that people are using to replace the skill oh my reps aren't good at blank so let me buy a tool to do it oh my reps aren't good at blank so let me fill in this you got to, it's good, right? And those, those will be the teams and the refs that win in the long run are the ones that are good at what they do and they're backed by technology, right? And that's, that's the divide I see most across the industry. Well said, well said. So before we end our great conversation, which I have thoroughly enjoyed, Katie, we ask all of our guests one question, which is how would you describe sales in one word? <laughs> Katie's facial expression is amazing and so on point right now. (laughs) One word. Sales in one word. It's psychology. Mm. Psychology. That would be my one Mm -hmm. word. Makes sense from what I know about you and what we've been talking about. Can you elaborate a tiny bit on that? Oh, I'd be happy to because one word was is hard. Um, <laughs> sales at its core is about influencing another individual to change their behavior. That's what sales is, right? We are hoping that we can educate and influence someone to change their behavior. In order to do that, you need to rely on psychology because you are trying to change someone's mind. And if more reps and more sales teams and more sales leaders focus more on the person side of salesperson, the psychology, right? It's not B to B, right? Like GE doesn't buy anything. GE is not a person. (laughs) GE is a logo. It, It doesn't exist without people. And so that's why I say sales is psychology because you're changing people's minds. No matter what tool you use, what product you sell, anything. If you can't change someone's mind, there is no purchase. So that's why I think sales is psychology. And if we remembered why people make decisions and why people will change, what matters to people, what matters for their goals, that's that's why psychology to me is what sales is. Everything else builds up to eventually conversation between two individuals where someone has to agree to change that comes from psychology terrific explanation love Love it it. great end to this conversation hell yeah katie for folks who uh can't get enough and already know who you are or this is their first time hearing about you where can or should they go to i don't know stay connected get more of your content hear what you have to say so you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I don't have any of the other social channels. So no Snap, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. I don't know what all the kids are on anymore. I got LinkedIn. That's all I got. So you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I do have a podcast called Live Better, Sell Better. I have a Patreon group where I do, you know, like hour-long trainings and AMAs. like just like heavy content in um, on Patreon. It's called Inside Sales Excellence. Um, I have a course on Udemy now called B2B um, sales masterclass. Like just trying to put it all out there for, for people. Cause I do, I believe people are hungry for, they're hungry for more of the how 
they're hungry for more of like the actual tactical insights, not just like kind of like the fluffy posts. So um, that's where you can find me. LinkedIn, LinkedIn, Patreon, Live Better, Sell Better, Inside Sales Excellence. Let's go, baby. Good times. Good times. There we go. Thanks, Katie. We appreciate it. Thank you for your expertise. Thanks for keeping it real. And I'm sure I will see you sooner than later again, hopefully in person, but at least on LinkedIn. Hell yeah. Give me some swag. You promised. I did promise. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, we like to bring you a micro-action, something you can think about or put into play today. Katie is a big believer in using a selling checklist, a guide that reminds reps of the small things they need to do to give them the best chance at success. Ask yourself what those specific actions are for you. Things like, did they agree to schedule a follow-up call? Did you ask for the business? Has a problem-based proposal been sent? But of all of these questions, Katie says that one is most important. What problem did the prospect agree they have? Agreement about the problem is the lever that moves deals forward. Without it, none of the other details will matter nearly as much. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.